so good to be reminded we just so desperately need the Holy Spirit so we can welcome uh, all that he has for us so we can hear uh, what he has to say. And uh, as we get ready to open up this text, I just wonder how many of you have ever had the privilege of choosing not only the subject matter that you want to pursue, but also choosing the teacher. I think a lot of times we've, we've tried to do that, right? We're, we're drawn to something. I mean, I remember seeing somebody who was just poetry in motion on the basketball court, and I was from Indiana, so that was our state religion, and that's what I wanted to do. And I remember asking them, like, can you teach me what you're doing, like poetry in motion? And, and they at first said, yeah, and then they tried it for a while, and then they looked at me and just said, uh, no. Maybe, maybe try something else, because I, I just was not going to have the equipment, you know, and, and uh, you know, you're one of those kids who's taught, like, you can do anything you ever want to do, and it's like, that's such a lie, <laughs> um, but, but then you find other things that you, you want to do, so I, I had more of the athleticism that made me a good musician, so, uh, you know, look for that, and, and, and I remember the delight of, like, being able to find a teacher, I, I heard them play, and, and I was like, that is what a trumpet's supposed to sound like. And, and like, that's the best teacher, right? Because you see them do something and you say, can you teach me? And they're like, yeah, I think I, think I can. You know, and, and in this text, what happens is the, the disciples actually see Jesus do the most important and amazing thing that a human being on this planet can do. But he's the son of God, God incarnate doing it. And, and like, it must have been an amazing thing to see and experience Jesus praying. You know, then they, they didn't do like we did, praying in their hearts. That was kind of a foreign concept. They didn't read quietly in their hearts. Everything was out loud. And so the, they got to actually experience not just the text of it. Like we have texts like John 17, a whole chapter of Jesus praying. It's amazing. But they got to hear it. The, the, the tones and the emotion and the way that he prayed. And so you would have thought like that might be like me on the basketball court. Like Jesus looking at them and saying, can't be taught, Sorry. Or, or even to just say, hey, it's, it's a Trinity thing. You've got to be in the club to talk to God that way. Or, or even if he'd say, this is really mystical. It can't be taught with speech and a lesson. But he didn't say that, thankfully. He actually said that when it comes to praying with God, which is the most important thing that a human being can do on this planet, we can actually learn how to have a freer fuller, satisfying prayer life by some teaching. And it's contained here in Luke 11. We're going to look at this text, and Jesus is going to school us. Uh, and as he does that, he's saying, you can do it. There's grace for you. So let's read the word, and then we'll, we'll dive into this lesson. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, 
yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we're going to look at three things from this text. Jesus, when asked how to pray, first of all, he furnishes them with a model prayer for them to use. Secondly, he gives them a test. I call this the midnight test for how they should come because their question, after all, was how do we do this? And he gives them this story that I'm going to call the midnight test. And then third, he gives them a guarantee that when they pray in this way, in this framework, that Jesus promises to give the most needed thing to them. So let's look at them in this order. This is the, first of all, the model prayer. In these opening verses in chapter 11, Jesus gives a compressed form of it. Um, The longer version is in Matthew. Evidently, Jesus taught this in other contexts. And this is an absolute genius way of praying. This is everything that we can ever need to pray compressed into the span of a prayer. If you take Matthew's longer version, it takes 15 seconds to pray this prayer. And yet I have been on prayer retreats, personal and otherwise, that have done nothing other than pray out the petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, It is uh, absolutely complete in everything that we ever pray. In other words, something that we pray fits one of the categories of the Lord's Prayer. And this is training wheels for beginners. You can just be a brand new follower of Christ and you can use this prayer and pray it. Again, not just, not only say it, but the difference between just repeating rotely and praying is it matter from the head to the heart. And in 15 seconds, you basically have, have coverage. It's training wheels for beginners, but it's also on-ramps that never fail us. We never outgrow these prayers. Uh, and it's a great balancer uh, in order that we pray all of the things in proportion. You know, it's, it's possible sometimes for bodybuilders to only work one part of their body. Uh, and if they only work one part of their body and they work really, really hard at it, they look a little bit cartoonish. You know, huge biceps, but everything else, not that impressive, just stands out, you know. And, and this prayer basically, uh, in its complete form, basically exercises us spiritually in all of the ways that we ought to be exercised in prayer. So it's a balancer. But I think this abbreviated version in Luke is, is especially functioning that this framework is to be the filter and prioritizer of our prayers. And what I mean by that, it, it, in the priorities, it starts, Jesus starts, first of all, with Father. Um, this was a shocking concept. And, and we are in a situation that we fail to understand that. Again, when we share with someone, and, and I, when I talk with people about spirituality and Jesus and the gospel, uh, often people will say, oh, well, the important thing is we're all God's children, Right? But biblically, that's an absolute lie. Uh, And what I'll sometimes say is, uh, we're not all God's children, and I'm so glad we're not. And that usually raises their, if not their eye, or their eyebrows. (laughs) Like, what? You're glad we're not all God's children? And I say, I'm so glad. 
I mean, I, and, and usually to build a bridge, I'll say, hey, I know what you're trying to get at. The Bible does say we all bear God's image. It's ineradicably placed on us. And we are all, as human beings, people of infinite worth because we're made in his image. It's stamped on us forever. And secondly, the Bible tells us that God, absolutely, his love is for everyone on the planet. His love is not dried up toward anyone. And he created all of us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, all of us. But actually coming to his family, there was a miracle in the incarnation that Jesus had to come down here and bear our cross and bear our sin for us to be brought into this family. And, and John says it this way. He says that through believing on the name of Jesus, he gave us the right to become the children of God. And the reason I'm, I, I look at our world and I'm glad that everybody's not already a child of God is because when you become a child of God, you receive the DNA of God through the Holy Spirit. And if everybody in our world, such as it is, already has that, I don't have much hope. The reason there's hope is that that work is not yet done. It's not yet realized. And, and the second thing about this is nobody ever prayed to God as Father. The Jews understood that God was the Father of the nation. But they didn't understand it in this personal, intimate way. One of the great theologians still living is, is J.I. Packer. And someone asked J.I. Packer once, he said, what is a Christian? And in his book, Knowing God, he answers it. And he says, a Christian is someone who knows God is his heavenly father. Because he said, the only way you know God is your heavenly father is that you've got to come through the son, Jesus. Because he's the one who brings you into the family. And he says that a Christian is someone who lives all of their life and, and suffers all of their trials and deals with all of the challenges of life and prays all of their prayers through the, through the grid of knowing that God is their heavenly father. <laughs> another, another great theologian, John Calvin, said, he was asked, what is the essence of Christian spirituality? <laughs> and he says, Christian spirituality is knowing the fatherly care of God in all situations, knowing God is your father. It is, it is a miracle that took Jesus going to the cross to bear God's wrath against our sin. We're not just... Um, people who live in a fallen world, we're people who add to it with our own rebellion of heart. And the miracle of miracles is that God confronts that with his grace in his son. And because of that, we're born into that family through faith. And so this is the filter, our father. And then he says, this is a father whose name deserves to be hallowed. Hallowed be your name, held, treasured, delighted in. In heaven, the angels never tire of declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His name is holy, but it's not treated that way on earth. And so people don't cherish it. It's used as not only a swear word, it's used trivially or it's spoken without any heart engagement. And he's saying, Jesus is saying, all of our prayer ought to be run through the filter that whatever we're praying, the thing we want most of all is that God's name will be more famous, loved, cherished, and prized because of how this prayer is answered. And so it, it becomes, again, not only the entryway, but it becomes the filter and the prioritizer. And then in this abbreviated version, Jesus says, the next thing is your kingdom come. Before we get to our daily bread and our needs, which Jesus encourages us to pray for, uh, he wants us to have a kingdom orientation. And the Lord's prayer must, this prayer must stamp itself on our prayers and shape our prayers or else we will just grocery list. No wonder we're bored with praying. We haven't brought God into it. The essence of prayer is to say, God, we want you to get in on this situation and in essence to say, and God, we want to get in on what you're doing in this situation already. That's what prayer is about. Prayer is not our getting God to do our will on earth. Prayer is getting God to do his will on earth. 
Uh, and, and so this is the framework. So, so again, hallowed be your name. That petition demands nothing else, that God's honor be sought before everything else, beyond all else, that our whole life are down to his glory. Thy kingdom come means that my highest allegiance is not to my health. That might make me pray. But my highest allegiance is not to my health or not to my child's well-being, though that might make me pray. Or not to my comfort or discomfort or my family, my tribe, my town, my denomination, my country, all those things, whatever it is. Those have to bow before the allegiance to Christ's kingdom advancing. Otherwise, I'm just trying to ratify my own viewpoint and get God to help serve me. That's the opposite of prayer. And so this framework, this, this is so helpful. This is why a lot of prayer is kind of misfired. So you're in a small group. You know how it goes. You don't know each other's role. Nobody's really sharing their deepest needs and heartfelt needs. And so it moves to, you know, a, a, a cousin or an aunt, and all of a sudden you're praying for Aunt Bertha's bunions. And, you know, not only does nobody know Aunt Bertha, but bunions, as far as I know, are not life-threatening. It's uncomfortable. But, but in this, through this grid... There's a way to say, okay, we pray for Aunt Bertha. We pray that she will know the fatherly care of God through Jesus. We pray that somehow through the midst of this trial, your kingdom will, will advance through this. And you see how that's, that's necessary not only when we're praying for something outside of us. It, it makes prayer. I think it's one of the things when the disciples heard Jesus' prayer. They're like, wow, he's praying for high-stakes stuff. I can't tell you how many times I have been in a situation where someone prayed, a worship service, or uh, even an extended time of prayer in a group of people. And I leave thinking, you know what? If God answered every single one of those prayers, the world would not be changed at all. <laughs> Some people who had health a few weeks ago would now have that health restored. Some people who had, you know, but, but there was nothing, you know, that's a six-inch headline that would ever be noticed in our world, and Jesus never prayed that way. There, there was always this, this kingdom view. It pre prevents a me-centered praying. It prevents fellowship-centered prayer that's just on the horizontal. A church centered on just who's already there and maintaining, the maintenance mode prayer. It's advancing prayer. And every decision that we make that, that moves us to pray for guidance ought to be prayed through this grid. Um, every decision we make as individuals, as groups, as a church, needs to be prayed through this grid. Lord, what will hallow your name the most? What will advance your kingdom in the most lives, in the most lasting way? You, you think of this in, in terms of ministry. You know, sometimes we get into maintenance prayer for ministry. We have so many ministries to pray for, and we can just say, you know, okay, Lord, and, and this is true, like our Thanksgiving dinner here, which is an awesome, we need, we need turkeys and bread and gravy and potatoes and all that stuff, you know, so we can just say, Lord, provide all that. But we need to lift that ministry up because what that is is it's a highway for God to hallow his name. We want his name to be more famous among needy people. And they say, wow, I'd never been inside that building before, but something happened in there, the way I was treated, the, uh, the, the way people uh, welcome me. Those are the kind of things that happen. So, so as we look for people to donate food, to serve, or bring people, or be part of that, we're saying, God, this is about your kingdom. I, I think of the, the other ministry out in our lobby. We have the opportunity to host international students. So you could say, okay, well, that's a cool thing. There are people who are from countries where Christianity and preaching the gospel is illegal, and they're studying at NYU. 
They have been here for years. They're going to be leaders in their country. They're getting advanced degrees that are going to make them up here. And they have never been invited into an American home. They don't know anything about our way of life or anything. Never in all the years. So those are cool reasons to do it. But, but, but the highest reason is this kingdom vision to say, so we need, we need 20 homes, a congregation of us. That's like asking if we could raise $100, I feel like. We need 20 homes to say yes to that. But I want them to say yes for the, right, for the reason to say, I'm prayerfully called to this as a vehicle of advancing your kingdom and hallowing your name. And so when we pray, Lord, furnish the Thanksgiving dinner with the meal and the volunteers and all that makes it happen. It's like, it's not just a give us our daily bread. It's a give us our daily bread after we pray, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. Do you see that? And, and that's what makes not only prayer exciting, it's about what makes life exciting. It really does. There's nothing more boring than a person who is all wrapped up in their own little package. There is no lie more hideous than the lie that says life is a story about me. It's hideous. It drains us of life. And yet it's so common. Where's the escape? This kind of prayer. That's where this, the escape is praying in this kind of way. And so we move into our daily bread. Then he says, then we move into our spiritual needs. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone. Uh, I love what uh, uh, St. Augustine in the fourth century, he called this petition the terrible petition. Because if we pray this petition, he says, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. If we pray it with an unforgiving heart or without forgiving someone, we are literally asking God, don't forgive me. That's a dangerous prayer. And Jesus put that right in this prayer when he said, use these words. Um, Thomas Watson, a great, great Puritan theologian, wrote this. He says, a person can as well go to hell for not forgiving as much as for not believing. And Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, put it this way. He says, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. I wonder how many people know that when they glibly say it. <laughs> and, and the reason for this is Jesus wants this to lodge in our hearts with reality. He's not just wanting us to say the words. He's wanting us to pray the words. Because if we have unresolved bitterness that we can't get rid of, and all of us are tempted by that at time to time, that happens to us, but if we can't or won't get rid of it or address it honestly before God, it doesn't just show us that we've been wounded by some huge hurt, because it's amazing. People can forgive huge hurts. But the problem when we can't forgive is that we're not applying the gospel to ourselves, and that the gospel doesn't have, have way with us. So unforgiveness is in any sphere of our lives. It's a threat to our heart health. It's like if you went to the doctor and you, you, you feel okay, but he says, man, I've done a check on your veins and like you've got a blocked artery going into your heart. <laughs> and if we don't deal with this, it's going to close up and you're going to die. That's, that's the warning of this prayer. And so he moves us through and then he says, and lead us not into temptation. It's saying, God, make me aware of the things that are tripping me up. Maybe they've tripped me up in the past. And so I want you to fortify me so that I'm no longer the same person in that situation and that those situations are not the things that I set myself up for. We often sabotage ourselves and he's saying, God, lead me not into that. Uh, and, and so all of those are this, this model prayer. It's a wonderful template. We should repeat it and use it. I mean, you think in, in less than 20 seconds a day, you can pray this prayer and, and have a sense of coverage, but don't just do it with rote words. Do it with hard engagement and you'll find yourself lingering there much longer. But then Jesus moves to the second thing. And basically, I think he's kind of saying, hey, 
If you're having trouble tracking with me as a father whose name deserves to be hallowed in all the earth, how about praying to a God who's the friend you would go to at midnight? And I want you to see that we often get tripped up with this little story about the guy who goes and wakes up a whole house at midnight because we make it an allegory instead of a parable. An allegory uh, is the wrong way. It will lead us astray and we'll say, okay, this person represents me and this person represents God and this person represents the Holy Spirit and this, no, we will get really tripped up if we do that. Jesus is answering a single question and that is how should we pray? So he's not talking about the man inside the house but he's talking about the one who is outside the house. And I want you to see that that's really important, and you'll see that a little more. But, but here's what's happening in the culture. Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me two, three loaves? He's saying, be that person who needs the loaves, who goes to the friend at midnight. And here's what makes this unique. Midnight in the ancient Near East really was the middle of the night. Now, for us, sometimes some people stay up till 11, 11.30 or whatever. You're not even in rapid eye movement sleep by then. <laughs> but in those days, it got dark, and then you would keep the candle or the lantern burning for a while, and you'd turn it off, you'd go to bed at eight, and you'd get up at like four, and then the sun would rise. So it's the absolute middle of the night. Now I want you to think, what kind of situations would cause you to go to somebody's house at that point, absolute middle of the night? And secondly, in those, in those days, and he makes it pretty clear, they're all his children are all with him in bed. So it's probably a one-room house that was common in that day. And there was only one bed in the house. Now, some of you, we can, some of us, we can remember what it was like. You have little children, and you get your four-year-old asleep. You get your two-year-old asleep. You get your 14-month-old asleep. And it's like, I mean, as soon as that happens, if you get them down, you're like, ah. Now time for me and my love just, just to be together, right? And it's like this house, of car and you're like tiptoeing around the house like there's a great souffle in the oven and let's not disturb it and like it's a special moment. Like what would you think of somebody who comes rap, rap, rap on your door <laughs> and say, hey, friend, and you're like, hey, friend, it better be an emergency. <laughs> this better be big. <laughs> who in your house was taken by ambulance to the hospital? <laughs> that you need me for? Or I'm assuming like a pipe burst and your sump pump's not working and you need my shop back? And they come over and they say, uh, you know what, hey, we just had somebody come over and uh, we've got the main course covered and everything, we just need a little bread. <laughs> we ran out of solo cups and uh, you, have, you got any of those? Because they have just woken up your four-year-old, your two-year-old, your 14-month-old in the middle of the night, they're not getting back to sleep probably. They're awake by this, and you are ticked. Who could you go to like that, and, 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 and for what reason? Because you see, bread was never really even the main course. In the ancient Near East, it was the delivery system. It was like a utensil for picking up the food and delivering it to the mouth. And so it's, and, and in the middle of the night, you're, they're going to go and, and, and do all of this. And so this is about the person who comes. I, I want you to see clearly in verse 8, it can't be about God being the person in the house because I tell you, though he will get up and give him anything, and uh, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. If you take that and make that a lesson about God, what you're saying is, yeah, if you wear God down, he doesn't really like you, um, but if you annoy him enough, eventually you'll break his will and he'll be nice. No, it's talking about the way we come, not about God. And that's why the emphasis is on his impudence. 
or his importunity, another word we don't use, importunity, and, and the translations all struggle with this, but the best thing, I think the NIV has a little footnote, shameless persistence. And it's saying, who would you be able to go to for a trivial need and bother without fearing that you had just obliterated the friendship or seriously harmed it? You know, so we all know, like, there's certain requests. Like, if my children are old enough that it would be really odd to me if they came to me and, and, and said to me, hey, Dad, can you get me a cup of water in the middle of the night? And I'm like, you want me to get you a cup of water? I mean, you're over 20 years old. Um, you know, my wife might be able to do it. And I'd say, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And then, then I'll look to get a super husband award or like she'll be extra special nice to me the next day or whatever. It'll be all about me doing it, right? But I'll tell you what, I never would hesitate. I mean, I can just remember, you know, when our children were wearing those pajamas with the little feet in them <laughs> and they shuffle into your room and they tap, 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 and then say, I had a bad dream. Can we have a snack? <laughs> like it just melts your heart, it's dad. It, it, it's just like you can't resist it because, but, but it's because they're, uh, they're, they're shameless, right? And they love you and they don't even think that you would be ticked off at them because they're just confident enough to say, oh, I can, I can go to my dad. I can go to my mom. I can, I can ask them. And Jesus says, that's, he says, your father you pray to is a father whose name deserves to be hallowed in all the earth. And he is also the friend that you can bother at midnight with anything you want, any time, any place, anything and he says, bother me. And he wants you to. I, I, I once saw the, the evidence of the lack of this in, in a marriage where the, the husband so wanted this intimacy with his wife and his wife was going to everybody else for what he longed to give her. And, 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 and the brokenness in their marriage couldn't be fixed until they got to the place where, where he manifested sincerely and consistently and she believed that he really was the one who was who was wanting to be her most intimate, supportive friend. And he was rightly incensed that she was going to everybody else. A good marriage can't tolerate that. You've got to be the one. A relationship with God can't tolerate that. God's saying, come to me first. Come to me, bother me. I'm the one who wants to be bothered. I'm insulted when you don't. I will listen to you like no one else will listen to you. I will understand your heart. I will help you understand your heart. You know, there's so little listening in our world. So much conversation is just people taking turns talking. You know, it's like our conversations have become social media. I don't care to hear you. I just want you to hear me. And it's, I'll talk. And then the person says, well, I haven't heard you at all. But now I'll talk. God isn't like that. And you know, listening, actually really listening to someone and loving someone is so much the same thing that I'm not sure I can look for a better synonym for what it means to love someone than to listen. And God is saying, this is who I am. The king of the universe, whose name deserves to be hallowed, whose kingdom is eternal. The next thing Jesus says about him is think of him also as the friend you would go to with a trivial need at midnight. I love that. What an encouragement for us to pray. And then finally, Jesus speaks that when we pray in this way to our Heavenly Father and we come with Him with that even most trivial need, that He says, you, I guarantee when you come to God in this spirit in this way, you will get what you need most. 
And he gives us these guarantees. He says, first of all, um, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And he's speaking of the continual coming again and again. Uh, you know, if you have to go to someone's house and you don't want to actually face them, maybe you're returning some dishes or you're returning something they loaned you and you don't want to, you don't really enjoy a long conversation and you can't get away with them. When you go to their house, you know what you do usually when you knock? You knock once. Mm. And you hope, you're like, I know they're in there, but I hope that when she says, honey, did you hear something? And they go, was it a knock now? I think it was just a thud. And they don't come and then you leave your dish and your little thank you note or whatever on the porch and you leave because you don't really want to interact with them. We've all had situations like that. Knock once, leave. Jesus says, no, the God who you address when you come in this way, you, you want to encounter him. And when you do, he will always respond. Now, he, you'll know it, it very clearly in verse 10 says, everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks will be open. But, but there's a filter on this, thankfully. He doesn't say that you receive exactly what you ask for. And here he's saying you receive something better. He says you've got to trust that God is at least more wise than you are as you are more wise than little children. <laughs> now, I think there's an infinity in that analogy somewhere, right? <laughs> but he's, he's saying, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And so he's saying, and, and in the ancient Near East, and Charles Spurgeon helped me understand this, he said that in the ancient Near East, even in the Sea of Galilee, there were there were things like eels. They looked like fish, and they were, they were serpents. So you're, you're fishing for a St. Peter's fish and, or, or with a net, and you catch an eel. And, and he says, that's sometimes what it feels like in prayer. Or actually, uh, with this, um, ask for an egg and give him a scorpion. You know, in the ancient Near East, there's a white scorpion that's pretty large, and when it nestles in a rock, it can look like an egg. And he actually said, um, if you take that scorpion and you cut it open, it's actually yellow inside. <laughs> And, and, and so sometimes what we're asking for, and bread and a stone, they cook bread on stones. On stones. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew, bread and a stone. So, so sometimes when we're praying, it looks like, hey, I prayed and I got exactly the opposite of what I asked for specifically. And what Jesus here is saying is the one we're praying to is wiser than that. And that if we knew everything that he knew, we would actually have asked him for exactly the thing that he gave us, even though it was the opposite of what we entered when we started praying. That's a, that's a hard lesson, but if we knew everything that God, because then he, he says to his disciples, and I want you to know, this is to the disciples, he says, if you then who are evil, huh, that's a little strong, Jesus. I would have preferred if you said, hey, you're a little unfinished, so I'm going to have to be a filter over your prayers. Uh, you, you know, you're not yet fully formed, but now he says, you're, you're evil. You're, you are prone to use the, we the, the resource, dare I call prayer a weapon. It is part of a spiritual warfare weapon. You're prone to use this in really destructive ways. Uh, and, and if I gave you unfiltered power of it, you'd make such a wreck of not only your life, but everybody else's life, maybe the world. Uh, I remember a, a twilight zone. It was really actually a very scary one. And this little boy had given powers that if anybody crossed him, he could basically disintegrate them. <laughs> and so like he would do it a couple, and then everybody after seeing somebody who this little boy disintegrated and he was like, aren't I doing good? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And everybody's like, oh, you're good, you're good, you're good. As they sought to get as far away from him as possible. <laughs> Imagine if you entrust a two-year-old with the power <laughs> to exert their will, all of a sudden, I mean, they aren't going to have any siblings, you can be sure. Bam, 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 you're gone. 
parents are next, you know, and, 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 and it's like if, if prayer was simply an Aladdin's lamp and it were, it were given to a child and he said, you got three wishes, you get whatever you want, you know, you know, you better get away. <laughs> There's going to be horrible destruction. And Jesus here is saying, prayer, God is, God is always going to redirect us. Just like a parent redirects a child who says, I want chocolate cake and ice cream, three meals a day. I want to stay up as late as I can. I want to subject myself to watch and experience whatever I can. You know, a wise parent, right? He's saying, you're, you're even evil, <laughs> Even you being evil, you redirect your children all the time. There's a lot more distance in intellect and wisdom and guidance between God and you than there is between you and your child. And yet you know how good God is? When you come to him, you will without, when you come to him in this spirit, in this prayer, he says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is saying what you need most when you pray is not more things. You need more of me. That that's what eternity, that's what will get us through from this life. And so when the hardest things happen and God hasn't granted our prayers, what God says is, I will give you what you most need. You don't most need counsel about your specific situation, but you need an infusion of the wonderful counselor. You don't most need guidance for this decision that has you all worked up and anxious. What you most need is the guide. I'm going to give him directly to you. Uh, You need more and I need more of God himself. And he says, this is what God delights to do. I want to impart myself to you. And so when we pray, we not only commune with the king of the universe, whose father, whose name deserves to be hallowed, who's the friend we come to at midnight, but we commune with the one who wants to impart himself to us. So, so we leave with something even better than the radiance that came to Moses when he went up on the mountain and his face glowed. We, we receive an impartation of the Holy Spirit because that's what we most desperately need. Each of us need more of the Holy Spirit in our life after coming, after receiving, after being indwelt. And do you know why we need more of the Holy Spirit? Because he's the spirit of sonship. He's the one who can help us believe that God really is our father. (laughs) Because if we don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, Romans 8 says that when when we get wounded, when we're perplexed, we fall down and we say, We'll, we'll say something vague like, oh, God, if there is a God, help me get through this. But if we have the Holy Spirit in us, even when we're most wounded and frail and puzzled and perplexed, we fall to our needs and the Holy Spirit ministers to us the love of God where we start to feel like we're included in that embrace. And then we say, Abba, Father. And we can come to him just right as we are. This, this is really what it means to live in light of the gospel. John, John Wesley tells the story, and I'll close with this. He says that he had been a, a determined follower of Jesus for many years, and he, he fasted and prayed and memorized scripture. He ministered in orphanages. He kept the Sabbath on Saturday, and then he worshiped on Sunday. He was, and, and then he was a missionary t- to America, and he got back on a ship, and the ship had a big storm, And there were all these other Moravian Christians on there and they were praying and worshiping and singing to Jesus and saying, if the ship goes down, we're going to see you soon, Jesus. We can't wait. And John Wesley was like, I was miserable. I was anxious. I was so fearful. I realized I didn't have what they had. And so they prayed for him and he says, I learned that I was serving God as simply a servant to his master. And he says, the Spirit of God warmed my heart to receive the gospel, and I started to serve God not as a servant, but as a son, as a, little, as a child. 
That's why he says, the witness of the Holy Spirit is your mind. I love you. In the midst of your pain, so that prayer is more like crawling up into your Father's lap and letting him love you and receiving that love. And when you've spent time doing that, you've received what you need more than the quick fix of the situation. And so I want to lead us uh, in, first of all, praying the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to pray it together. This is Matthew's version. It's found in Matthew 6. I want us to not just say the words, but ask God to help us do it with a connected understanding. So let's say it aloud and make it our prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And remaining in prayer, remaining in prayer, I want to draw out individual lines and give you opportunity to pray in your heart to your Father. Our Father who art in heaven, receive our thanks and praise that you have made us children of yours. We don't deserve it. Hear our adoration. And hallowed be your name. Oh Lord, we want your name to be held in the deepest reverence in our lives, in our households, in our loved ones, in our community and in the world. We see your name sullied and sometimes we sully it. May your name be hallowed, God. And thy kingdom come. We thank you that you are a king with a kingdom that is mighty. And we do not see our world and our lives fully reigned over and surrendered to you. So we would welcome your kingdom in our lives and in our world. Come, Lord Jesus. And thy will be done. Help us to surrender. If we're holding on to something, Lord, just let us Release it into your hands. And how we pray that the whole world would release its rebellious will so that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us our daily bread this day, our necessities. Lord, where we have necessities, we thank you for them. They didn't come to us by chance, but through your fatherly hand. And where we or someone else lacks them, we pray you would grant the needs. And Father, forgive us. We have sinned in thought and word and deed. There is no health within us apart from what you implant. Enable that forgiveness to loom so large that it just melts away where we've been hurt and have to let it go. 
and temptations. Lead us not into them, God. We're easily tripped up. We relapse. We have so many times where we self-sabotage. So place a hedge of protection over us and protect us, Lord, from being tripped up and tripping ourselves up. Keep us pure. Keep us focused. Keep us fruitful for you. And deliver us from evil. Lord, there are snares and foes to the life that we want to live for you. And there is an evil one who wants to get us in his grip. But you are more powerful. And deliverance is with you. And finally, Lord, just how this prayer begins with worship, we end with worship. Because yours is the kingdom. There will not be multiple kingdoms. There's only one that endures forever. We praise you for that. And yours is the power. All other voices that would raise against your power will be subdued. And yours is the glory. Lord, you are the most astonishing, beautiful, worthy, one to be magnified. We will never tire of singing of you forever and ever. And so, Lord, implant and impart to us that we are a kingdom people who want your name to be hallowed, who want your kingdom to advance as you meet our needs so that we can serve that one great end. And, Lord, continuing in a spirit of prayer, Lord, we pray that you would just enable us to offer this closing song to the one who is our tireless, intimate friend, our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.